to dismiss our kingdom kids. That's uh, children ages four through nine. Uh, there is a teacher in the foyer back there ready to take you to uh, our Christian Education Center. And parents, you want to pick those kids up right after the service and invite the rest of you to join me in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is our text. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, and would love for you to follow along. You can use the Bible that's in the pew there provided for you. And uh, the page number for that particular passage is listed in the order of service, also in the worship folder. On the back is an outline to help you follow along with where we're going today, a little roadmap for where we'll be headed uh, through 1 Samuel chapter 8. We have nearly 18 months until our next presidential election, but at least a few aspiring leaders have thrown their hat into the ring already. And as more are added to the field, I'm sure we'll hear from each one something like, the current administration has failed, all other candidates fall short, I alone can provide the unique solutions to move our great country into a bright future. What they're saying is, pick me. <laughs> our system of government is very different than that of ancient Israel. We live in a democratic republic. At the beginning of 1 Samuel, Israel was still a loose collection of tribes that had been served by regional authorities called judges, about to become a more unified nation under a monarch. It was a very different world. But don't assume that this history is irrelevant to us. Here's our theme for today. When rulers go bad, go to God as your king. It sounds simple, but I think you know, when rulers go bad, go to God as your king. When I say uh, when, it means not, doesn't mean only, that's the only time you go to God as your king. It's just saying that at that time, when you see it, that's the time to go to God as your king. Now, when rulers go bad, you think, well, we live in Illinois. We, we know all that. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't invent crooked politicians, but we got a machine that's just cranking them out. I mean, it's like, that's how it is. So the second part of the, the statement is trickier. Okay, God is our king, yes, but shouldn't we still vote? I mean, should, shouldn't, or even run for office? Uh, what about advocacy and activism? What about protest or even revolution? Are, are you saying, Bruce, that we should build a theocracy instead of a democracy? No, no, not doing that. But you can see in all of these kinds of discussions and many other things we could bring up, it doesn't take long to get into the deep end of the pool. We're going to wade in this morning carefully, but confidently, because this is God's word for us. Chapter 7, if you are with us last week, chapter 7 ended with a great military victory. God liberated Israel by defeating their oppressive Philistine overlords. And we're going to go back just a little bit into chapter 7 to start, read, start reading right after the battle, um, to, just to savor those good times. Uh, before, they, we, we, before we see that they just don't last. So uh, backing up to verse 12 of chapter 7, and then I'm going to read on through verse 3 of chapter 8. Then Samuel took a stone after this great victory, and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer, you may see the footnote, it means a stone of help. This is a monument that to God's grace, his provision, his, he came through for us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. 
And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Then he would turn to, to return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. That's, that's so, everything's great, right? When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Now we're going to stop just right there because that sets up, that, that's the problem. That's the, that's the, ah, the rub. And, and what's going to happen from here? Well, let, but let's, let's understand the problem. This is part one, perverted justice. Question we're going to get to in terms of application is, are we committed to God's standard of justice when we are in authority? But let's, let's talk through the story. So for many years, apparently, um, Israel enjoyed peace under Samuel's faithful leadership. He goes from presumably relatively young man to when he is old. Uh, but good leaders don't live forever. And sadly, godliness is not passed down through the genes does this sound familiar? If you've been with us through this series all the way through 1 Samuel, uh, through these first seven, eight chapters, remember Eli the priest, remember his sons Hophni and Phinehas, uh, priests who corrupted worship in chapter 2, taking what was not their portion from the offering, sleeping with the women who served at the tabernacle. And Samuel and his sons are starting to look kind of the same. And once again, God's people are suffering under shepherds who would rather fleece the flock instead of guarding and leading and feeding it. The last part of verse 3, that last line, they took bribes and thereby perverted justice. This was precisely what God's law had said judges should not do. Let me read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 to 20. Deuteronomy 16, 18 to 20 says, uh, this is from Moses speaking to the people, giving them the law of God. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I want you to think about this. If you think that God's laws only restrict you, or even God's laws oppress you, I want you to see how God's laws are here to protect you. When you have a complaint against somebody else, the judge should not show partiality, should not play favorites, oh, that's my nephew, or oh, that guy has a a really big, important business in town. The, The judge should not play favorites. Righteous judgment is to rule according to, well, what is right. 
The scales of justice should weigh arguments, weigh evidence against the other, but a bribe is an artificial tipping of the scales. It's a little thumb on the scales that that moves it around. And here's the thing. If you don't have the money or the influence to offer the judge, well, you lose even if you were in the right. And folks, that's not justice. That's not how God wants His people to live. God's laws are for our protection. Sometimes that that lack of justice has tragic consequences. Some of you will remember this story of uh, not judges, but other authorities who took bribes. This is from a story from Chicago's ABC7. When George Ryan was Illinois Secretary of State in 1994, a truck driver who illegally obtained his commercial license killed six children in a blazing crash. The depth of the pain is indescribable, the victim's father, Reverend Scott Willis, said. Four years later, so that'd be 1998, Ryan was running for governor when the ABC 7i team revealed that the driver of the truck had bought the license through a scandal of selling commercial driver's licenses in exchange for bribes to employees of the Secretary of State's office. Ryan said, was I involved in selling driver's licenses to people illegally? Hell no, I wasn't. Would I have tolerated it? Hell no, then Governor Ryan said in 2000. He was convicted three years later while governor with 18 counts of federal corruption in the U.S. Department of Justice's Operation Safe Roads. So thankfully, there was some justice being done. Joe Power, the attorney who represented the Willis family, the victims, spoke to them. Uh, This is from 2013 when Ryan was released after less than six years in prison. What, What does the family think of Ryan's release? The lawyer said, Well, his day of reckoning will also come later, and it's up to him, not to them. They're praying for him, but he's the one who has to be accountable for what occurred. And it's not a question of them forgiving. Ultimately, there's someone upstairs who's going to make that decision on forgiveness or not, the lawyer said. (laughs) That's true. We don't have any judges here in the room that I'm aware of, uh, but we do have, I think, several people in some kind of position of authority. You make decisions... Maybe every day that affect individuals and people, groups, whether, whether you run the store as a manager or the owner, whether you're a teacher, coach, or you are in some kind of public service. Are we committed to God's standard of justice when we are in authority? Folks, it should be known. If you, if you are known as a Christian, it should also be known that you don't bend the rules and you don't take favors in trade for other favors. That, that should be, even if no money passes, it should just be known that you are a person of integrity because you name the name of Christ, because you recognize God's standard of justice. Don't give an unfair advantage to one person over the other, even if there's no money passing. Just, you're you're going to give somebody an advantage just because somebody attractive flirted with you? You're going to give somebody an advantage because somebody with power and influence kind of jokes with you like, oh yeah, we're, we're in, right? You know, we're buddies, right? Right? You're going to favor them? Made you feel a little important? Made you feel noticed? Do not pervert justice because there is a higher judge than you. I can't speak to the destiny of George Ryan's soul, but don't think, but this is about you this morning, don't think that you can deny your sin like he did. Hell no. 
and still escape the judge of the universe who will say to you, hell? Yes. In 1 Samuel 8 and, and in many times and places down through history, God's people are actually not the ones in authority. They find themselves under bad rulers, unjust judges. So wh- what do we do when rulers go bad? Well, let's go back to the story and see what they did. Verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the Lord, uh, excuse me, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is part two. Rejected king. Will we forsake our holy God to seek a lesser savior? Maybe I should have put quotes around that. Savior. Like everyone else. Now, have you ever been fired from a job? Cut from the team? Asked uh, not so subtly to step aside. And you know what Samuel felt like. It was not probably a, a comfortable conversation. Uh, when, when Samuel uh, had the elders of the 12 tribes come to him, but it, it, of course it makes perfect sense that they would want to change in leadership. Uh, those judges should have ruled with justice and righteousness. So we understand why Samuel might have been displeased, but what's What's wrong with their request? Why does God say this was not right? Was it because that they asked for a king specifically instead of what they had, a judge? Well, you, you know, you look at the whole sweep of Scripture and that, that doesn't seem to be quite it because kingship and kingdom are all over the Bible. Adam and Eve were created to, to have dominion, to exercise dominion over all creation. Uh, Abraham and Sarah were told, that kings would come from their descendants. We're going to meet the great king David later in 1 Samuel, and of course, of course, from his descendants, the Messiah, the, the promised king, Jesus, with whom we will reign. Okay, take the book of Judges, though, even uh, the, which is just before this uh, historically. Um, again, Judges, right before this historically, 1 Samuel. This is the very last line of the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Those aren't two disconnected sentences. Hear that again. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And that's why everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No leadership, no authority, no, no guidance, Social and moral chaos. One other key background passage, and I don't want to lose you here, but, but, but this is important to get a background. Why, why is the, the, the king, was it not wrong for them to ask for a king, but 
here's another clarification. Deuteronomy 17. I'm going to go there. You can go with me or you can stay here in 1 Samuel. I'll come back to you. Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is just a chapter after what I read earlier about those judges. Deuteronomy 17, 14 says, uh, again, this is God through Moses. When you come, uh, Moses speaking to the people of Israel before they come to the land, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Well, that sounds exactly like for Samuel, right? When you say this, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. That place where they were slaves, they were in bondage. Don't go there. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book uh, in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now, I wonder if you can appreciate, uh, this is, that was a, a chunk of text, and you're just hearing me read it. Uh, I want to point out to you something of a paradox in that passage. Israel was permitted to have a king like all the other nations had, but he should be a king unlike the kings that all the other nations had. You're like, what? They were, all the nations have a king. Oh, you can have a king too, like all the other nations. But the king you have should not be like the kings that all the other nations have. You see that here. Uh, let, me, let me explain how I get there. He should be different. He shouldn't acquire many horses or wives or silver and gold. Now, uh, that's going to be different than all the other kings. I don't, we don't have any polygamists here that I'm aware of this morning. We do have, sometimes we often have some horse people. Um, you might be like, horses, what's wrong with having horses? That would be, I would love to have a lot of horses. I would love for you to have uh, a lot of horses as well. The issue here is not so much um, even just wealth or uh, sex. The issue even more, put a, put a finer point on it, it was about a king accumulating for himself power through Horses understood as, this is, this is a, a military buildup. I'm going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm going to have all these wives, and they're, they're going to be my, my alliances with other nations. I'm going to marry into this family. I'm going to marry into this royal family. That's how we're going to preserve the balance of power. That's how we're going to preserve peace. That's how we're going to negotiate. Uh, so horses and wealth and women, this was, this was about the king accumulating power to himself. The, and the problem there is that the peace and security, the safety and prosperity of Israel was to come through the Lord, from the Lord, not from a king who amassed all this wealth and power and alliances. Now, 
another distinctive of Israel's king that makes him unlike all the other kings. He should be, this passage in Deuteronomy 17, he should be well-versed in God's law and faithful to keep it. Verse 20 says that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. Wouldn't we, wouldn't we love to see humility in our leaders? He should remain a public servant, not become a self-centered, like oh, everything flows to me. What a strange king Israel was supposed to have. Other kings, the kings of the nations, reveled in their absolute authority. This king knows that he exercises his authority under God's authority. That's why he needed to know God's law. He, I exercise authority under God's authority. Or as the centurion said to Jesus when he came looking for a servant to be healed, he says, I too am a man under authority. That should be the attitude of every leader. That's the kind of humble king Israel was allowed to have, but it's not the kind of king they wanted here in 1 Samuel 8, as we will see. They expected a powerful, impressive king to give them that peace and safety, security and prosperity that they longed for when they should have looked to God to provide these things. That's why the Lord says their demand was basically another form of idolatry. You see that in verse 8? He says, this is the same, this is a pattern, folks. Ever since, I, ever since I brought these people up out of Egypt, out of, I delivered them from slavery, and they continue to go, and, and from the power of other gods, other authorities, and they want to go back, forsaking me, and turning to other gods. They rejected him, therefore, from being their king. And here's where I think we can get some application. Not that I expect that anyone in the room wants an actual king over them, you know, the whole, the whole bit, crown, scepter, throne, that's not what we're looking for, but we might be tempted, we might want a leader like all the nations have. Oh, and now, again, we're not talking about government in general. Every country has leaders, rulers, authorities. Romans 13 says that governing authorities are there by God's design. However, it also says that those leaders that lead, those rulers that rule, According to God's standard, that's, that's how they should be ruling, according to God's standard of what is right and wrong, just like we read earlier about those judges in the Old Testament. But there is a particular temptation that we, the people, have when rulers go bad. We think that the solution is a ruler with more authority, more power, a king who wields power and offers protection like the world. Maybe say, hey, is he criticizing my candidate, uh, like my favorite? Like, hey, listen, I'm not telling you who to vote for or how you decide whom to vote for when you have uh, multiple imperfect options, multiple bad options. I'm not telling you how do you, how, that, that when you vote or when you campaign for your, your favorite, well, this is what I want you to remember, the words of Psalm 146, verses 3 through 5. Put not your trust in princes. In a Son of man, in a mere human, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. We will be involved politically. You will vote. You might be even participate campaigning. You may run for office. But here's the thing. What, who, what kind of leader are we looking for? And who ultimately Ultimately, do we trust to give us all that we are looking for? 
We left off in, in 1 Samuel 8 with the Lord telling Samuel to warn the people, show them the ways of the king who would reign over them. The next part of the sermon, we're going to take us to the rest of the chapter, all the way to the end, but for now, I'm just going to read the next paragraph, verses 10 through 18. So, follow along with me there for Samuel 8, verse 10. So, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, this These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Wow. This is part three. Next slide, please. Unanswered prayers. Do we want God to meet our demands or answer our cry for help? That's a harder question than maybe you think. Do we want God to meet our demands or answer our cry for help? Now, if I had timed this series better, maybe we could have done this sermon on April 16th, right after tax day. Uh, See, big government's going to take everything from you. Actually, the Bible says more than once that we should pay our taxes. And you can make a a case that the Bible is for limited government, but it is clearly not anti-government. Let me just say that again. You can make a case that the Bible is for limited government, but it is clearly not anti-government. So, you know, we should probably check our rhetoric sometimes, but... You might want less government. We certainly want good government. No government? Well, remember what the end of the book of Judges says? Or do you watch the news of certain cities in our country the last few years? You want no government? Samuel warns the people, this is what it will be like with the king you want. He's going to take what's yours for himself. He's going to take the best of what's yours of what's yours and give it to his servants. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your servants. He's going to take your land. He's going to take your crops. Oh, just a portion. Uh, he'll, oh, he'll build a great army, absolutely, uh, and a large personal estate and a large bureaucracy that always needs more, more revenue. And, and he will say to you, look how many jobs I've created. But you'll end up his slaves. You'll end up his slaves. You wanted a king for what he would do for you, but the whole thing turns into you doing everything for him. Now, I don't think this is because monarchy is bad as a system of government. It's because idolatry is bad. Because idolatry is bad. Remember, that's the connection that God made earlier in verse 8. When you want a king, when you focus all of your hopes, dreams, expectations, this, is, this person is going to be the answer. When you want a king to give you what only God can give you, 
then you are forsaking God and turning to idols. And that's not, not just a political thing. That could, well, well, we'll get there. So think about it. False gods and bad rulers only take. And you might expect me to finish that sentence with something like, but God only gives. You know, false gods, bad rulers only take. God only gives. It's not actually, that's not, not quite right. It would be more accurate to say, the Lord is, the Lord is the only king, the only God who demands everything from you and yet leaves you the richer for it. The Lord is the only king who calls you to serve him and yet somehow he is always working to bless you. What? Folks, that's the kind of leadership that we need. That's the kind of God and king that I want to serve. Now, it's quite likely there's someone listening right now who has been looking for, again, beyond, beyond the realm of politics, uh, looking for someone or something powerful enough to give you everything you always wanted. Let me tell you, if it's not the Lord that you're looking for, you are, you're in for trouble. You're in for slavery. See, if you look for a romantic partner, shall we say, if you look for a romantic partner to give you everything you want, well, I mean, you're, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Uh, and you may make yourself more vulnerable to abuse. If you're looking for a new job and, and a bigger paycheck to solve all, if I could just get that, I would solve all my problems. You will soon find out there are a lot of problems you have that cannot be fixed with money. And, and, you will, and you will quickly find out that the people around you don't appreciate you trying to buy their love. If that's how you try to fix every problem with, well, how much will it take? Okay, can I buy you off? How about if I uh, give you more presents? Like, that, that. Money doesn't fix things. If you believe that winning the big prize is what you really want the most, whether it's being the valedictorian or the, the MVP of the team or the salesperson of the year, you will quickly see how people are always expecting something else, something bigger and better next, or they just move on to the next champion, the next winner. Hear me, I'm not trying to discourage you from romantic relationships, getting a better job, or pursuing excellence in what you do. I'm just saying they're bad rulers. They're false gods. They will take from you more than they give, and they will leave you slaves. Verse 18 says, and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. If that sounds too harsh, just remember at this point in the story, this is still part of Samuel's warning. At this point, they could turn back, they could change their minds. Oh, wow, we, we almost went the wrong way there with that whole king idea. We don't want that. Give us the Lord. Lord, give us the ruler that you want. If it's a judge or just a different kind of king, God, we, we want you to be our leader. We want you to rescue us from bad leadership. Give us the Lord. But that's not what happened. Verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, 
but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. For all the scary stuff in this chapter about authoritarian rulers, I have to say, democracy doesn't look too good either. Israel went from bad leaders to voting for one who was worse. In America, we're used to telling ourselves that the people know best. Candidates tell us how much they believe in the American people. If only the politicians would listen to the voice of the people. And I get that. There's, there's a lot of wisdom. There's been a lot of virtue in the people historically. We have silent majority, moral majority. We've, and, but here's the thing. you trust the voice of the people? The, the majority vote is not the answer, folks, to our current issues. And if we're believing that we can squeak out another narrow majority to, I don't know, Here, they refuse the voice of the people. They refused, they refused to obey the voice of the prophet. And God says to the prophet, okay, obey the voice of the people. Isn't that what we think we want? We want God to say, sure, whatever you want. <laughs> that's what, that's what I, I know. I, I, come, I bring my list of things that I want to God, and I want God to say, yeah, sure. Yep, yep, you can have that. That's great. Go ahead. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what, that's what I think I want. Maybe we should be more thankful when he says, you don't want that. You, you, you do not want that. This story seems to indicate that sometimes when we are stubborn and rebellious, God says, okay, that's what you want. But if you make your choice, don't expect, don't expect me to be, be running to bail you out. When your king fails you, when your God leaves you empty, that's what you said you wanted. That's why I asked the question, do we want God to meet our demands or answer our cry for help? Now, the story is going to continue. We'll get there next week. We'll see what kind of king that Israel gets in coming chapters and how God later gives them in his mercy, in his grace, he will give them a, a king better than they deserve. But we're going to close this sermon thinking about a king that came even much later than that. And of course, you know, that's Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the king. The question for us is, and this is part four, as we think about the promised kingdom, will you choose to serve the only perfect king who saves his people? That's the question. Now, this, this has been a very negative uh, passage, negative sermon, thinking about uh, bad rulers. But let me be clear, we should be grateful to God for good human rulers. At every uh, level of society, not just in government, be thankful that at time God graces us with people who are wise and just, who are honest and fair. Thank, thankful for, for those kinds of leaders. We need more of them. We do. 
This is, this is again, not about, this is not an anti-government sermon. It's not about anti-involvement in, uh, in, a, in have, holding authority and in serving in government. For some of you, this just means, okay, I need to be an informed voter who is, at the end of the day, says, but God, we're trusting you. For others, it might, it might mean running for office. We need more uh, people who are willing to be servant leaders at every level of society and true public servants, serving God by serving people. That can be at school, it can be at work, it can be in church, and of course, in government as well. But, but here's the thing, and this is the, the, the place where we are in this passage. We, we do know that rulers go bad. And in our broken world, we shouldn't be surprised. What should we do when rulers go bad? That's the it's a situation we're in. That's the question that presses on us. And I'm just saying the first thing that we do is to go to God as our king. Cry out to the Lord. It means, it means lamenting the injustice. It means crying out for help. Even if that prayers are just, thy kingdom come. Or, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And there are other things that, yes, that we can do uh, politically in our society, but we have to guard our hearts against idolizing our favorite leader, whoever that is. They are not our Savior. That's true of every, every single candidate, every single leader. Who is our only Savior? Who is the perfect king? God told the Samuel to warn the people, telling them the ways of the king that they wanted. Let's turn that around. Let me appeal to you. Let me plead with you with the ways of King Jesus. Jesus is the one who humbled himself to serve us, to sacrifice for us. Jesus, the one who demands everything from us, yet gives us everything we could ever want or need. He gives us that peace and safety, the security and and prosperity in his eternal kingdom. Because he is God the Son, it is right for us to pin all our hopes in him. Remember the passage I read earlier from Psalm 146, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Folks, the son of man is the one where our salvation lies, and that's where we put our trust. He will fight our battles. And when he is victorious, finally and forever, he will rule the world with justice. That theme is throughout the scriptures. Samuel grew old. He couldn't last. Jesus shall reign forever, and he is worthy of our worship. Today is your day. This is your moment to hear the warning about all those other kings of the world who when we look at them in the way that we've described here, really function as idols. Today's the moment to hear the welcome instead of Messiah Jesus, the one who deserves our worship. Let go of your demands. Cry out to him for help today, and I I tell you, he will hear you. He will hear you, and he will save you. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that as a people, we would not forsake you and turn to false gods. 
you know how we feel when we see culture, uh, our, our political heritage uh, crumbling around us. We, you know how we feel when we see uh, corrupt leaders, we hear stories of oh, stuff going on, and oh, our hearts, want, we want it to be fixed. We want, we want it to be changed. We want the right ruler to be in place, God, and that is that ache and that anger is a longing, ultimately, should be for Christ and His kingdom. And God, for all, the, all that we have to do and need to do until that day, until Christ returns, would you give us such wisdom? Would you give us discernment? Would you give us humility? And would you give us courage and boldness to live in these days, not giving in to the ways of the world, not going after a king like all the nations, but, but the king that is unlike all the kings of the nations because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We bow before you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen.